At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference. Good Tuesday morning. A fifth victim in that Louisville shooting has died overnight. As we learn more about the heroic acts that saved other lives, it's April 11th. This is Today. Terror in Louisville, a city mourning after a gunman opens fire inside a bank. Five people killed, eight others wounded, including a young police officer who raced toward the danger. Just graduated from the police academy on March 31st. I just swore him in. This morning, the dramatic calls just moments after the shooting began. Steve texted a friend, called a friend, left a voicemail. He's going to kill everyone at the bank, feeling suicidal. We'll have the very latest on the victims, the investigation, and the search for a motive. Political drama. Eyes 36. One of the Tennessee lawmakers expelled over a gun reform protest now reinstated, sworn back in just days later. I'm Justin Jones. This morning, his message to voters and fellow politicians as his ousted colleague prepares to learn his fate. Soak it in, unseasonably high temperatures from coast to coast, and Al says it's about to get even warmer. We'll have everything you need to know. New twist, the mother of that six-year-old boy who shot his first grade teacher in a Virginia classroom, now indicted by a grand jury. The criminal charges she now faces and her reaction. All that plus dieting revolution. Popular weight loss companies now leaning in to the rise of popular pills. How the industry is changing and what it means for anyone trying to shed a few pounds. And heading home. Oh, he's doing the wave. An adorable seal pup who lost his way and needed a little rescuing, ready to head back into the ocean. And we are right there with him live for the start of his next adventure. Today, Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cutby, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Good Tuesday morning to you. So happy that you've joined us. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, we'll get right to our top story this morning. Another mass shooting in this country. Yeah, overnight, a fifth victim died from the rampage inside a bank in Louisville, Kentucky. The suspect and employee, the attack being investigated as a workplace incident. Meanwhile, new details are emerging about some of the folks who helped prevent an even bigger tragedy, including Officer Nicholas Wilt, a graduate of the police academy just days ago. He was shot while running toward the shooter. He is in the hospital this morning. And here's an interesting stat or a terrible stat. According to Gun Violence Archive, this is the 146th mass shooting in the United States so far this year. We are in mid-April. NBC's Morgan Chesky is on the scene in Louisville with the very latest. Hey, Morgan, good morning. Yeah, Savannah Hoda, good morning. And there is a sense of sadness you can absolutely feel here in Louisville today. The crime scene tape has just come down here outside Old National Bank, where a federal law enforcement official says this is now being investigated as an act of workplace violence. 
all from a 25-year-old gunman described as being mentally disturbed, who we've just now learned gave troubling warning signs before opening fire. A quiet Monday morning in downtown Louisville, turning into a scene of chaos and carnage. This was an evil act of targeted violence. Police say 25-year-old Connor Sturgeon opened fire with a rifle at Old National Bank, where he was an employee. I just hear really loud gunfire. I see glass just exploding. Officials getting no more word on his motive, but did confirm the suspect was live streaming the massacre on social media. 911 dispatch audio recounting an ominous voicemail Sturgeon left for his friend. Connor Sturgeon, 6-4, he's texted a friend, called a friend, left a voicemail, he's going to kill everyone at the bank, feeling suicidal. A senior law enforcement official telling NBC News the suspect left a note, though its contents are unknown. The suspect shot at officers. We then returned fire and stopped that threat. The hail of gunfire taking the lives of five people. Tommy Elliott, Jim Tutt, Josh Barrick, Juliana Farmer, and late Monday, Deanna Eckert. The stunning loss turning personal for Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir. We lost four children of God today, one of whom was one of my closest friends. Tommy Elliott helped me build my law career, helped me become governor, gave me advice on being a good dad. Crews rushed nine more people to a nearby hospital for injuries, including three police officers who responded. Officer Nicholas Wilt was one of them, who police say ran towards the gunfire to save lives and was shot in the head. The 26-year-old undergoing emergency brain surgery and is currently in critical but stable condition. Just graduated from the police academy on March 31st. I just swore him in. Louisville's mayor knows his community's fear and anger all too well. He survived a shooting at his own campaign headquarters last year. You've been there. And I have. I learned firsthand that you have to find inner courage and strength that you may not have even known that you have had to keep moving forward. Such a tragedy, Morgan. Uh, There were other victims who were rushed to the hospital. Do you know anything about their conditions? Total, we do. We know at least nine people were taken to area hospitals yesterday, but some have already been discharged. But we do know at least two remain in critical condition. One of those, of course, 26-year-old officer Nicholas Fult, who we're told is in critical but stable condition. And Hoda, we're learning today his brother already following in his footsteps. He's currently about halfway through Louisville's police academy program. Hoda. All right, Morgan Chesky for us there in Kentucky. Morgan, thank you. Meanwhile, just two days after two Tennessee state lawmakers were expelled from the state house for joining a high-profile gun reform protest that broke decorum rules, one of them has now been reinstated. The fate of the other expected to be decided later this week. Let's get to NBC's Katie Beck. She's in Nashville for us. Katie, good morning. Good morning, Savannah. Representative Justin Jones says he's feeling hopeful after being reappointed to his seat on an interim basis. Yesterday, hundreds of supporters gathering here at the Tennessee State Capitol to try and send a strong message to the Republican leaders who ousted him from office. A triumphant Justin Jones returning to the Tennessee State House just days after the Republican-led legislature expelled him. 
no expulsion, no attempt to silence us will stop us. But Hours earlier, the Nashville Metro Council voting unanimously to reappoint Jones back to his seat on an interim basis. I, Justin Jones. Jones sworn in on the state capitol steps before re-entering the building surrounded by hundreds of supporters. The time where time itself is ready for change and the world is watching because that time has come to Nashville and Tennessee. His unprecedented removal after Jones and two other Democrats joined protesters on the floor of the State House to call for stricter gun control laws after the deadly school shooting in Nashville. Republicans say the trio broke House rules. Representative Gloria Johnson welcomed her colleague back to the State House Monday, tweeting this photo next to Jones, simply writing, Justice. Unlike Jones, a motion to oust her on Thursday narrowly failed by just one vote. Johnson says it's because she's white, something Republican lawmakers vehemently deny. On Wednesday, the other ousted representative, Justin Pearson's district in Memphis, is expected to hold a special session to discuss whether he'll be reinstated. The Republican Tennessee House Speaker says he will seat whomever is selected to fill the two spots. A spokesperson for Cameron Sexton telling NBC News those two individuals will be seated as representatives as the Constitution requires. This morning, Jones says his focus is getting back to work for the people of Nashville. I was honored to walk into that chamber today and be able to cast a vote for my district and for the people um, who sent me there to be their voice. Now, Monday's decision is just the beginning for Jones because he was temporarily appointed to fill that seat. He will be facing a special election in coming months. Additionally, on Wednesday, the Shelby County Commission will be deciding the fate of Representative Justin Pearson. If he, too, is reappointed, he will also face a special election. Savannah? All right, Katie, thank you. And now to the legal standoff over an abortion pill that's been used for more than two decades. It's called Mifepristone, and it's facing an uncertain future. After dueling federal court rulings in conflict, including one by a Texas judge that invalidated the FDA's approval, the Justice Department is now appealing that ruling, calling it extraordinary and unprecedented. NBC senior legal correspondent Laura Jarrett is here to sort it all out. I mentioned there's two rulings. One is in Texas. One is in Washington state. They're in conflict. The one in Texas has now gone up to appeal the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the issue right now is whether there should be a stay issued, a pause, while all the legal mumbo-jumbo goes on and and a final answer is reached. Exactly. The Justice Department basically just wants a placeholder just to keep everything in status quo as it exists right in this moment. And the Fifth Circuit has essentially said, let's hear from the plaintiffs, the anti-abortion groups and doctors that brought this lawsuit before we rule. We want to hear from them. So watch for that response to come late tonight by midnight. At the same time, you have this Washington case, as you mentioned, in direct conflict. And so there the Justice Department is saying, Judge, please give us some guidance here, some clarification about how we're supposed to reconcile these two conflicting orders. Now, the judge in that case may just say, hey, you have to follow my order. The judge may not respond at all. They have no obligation to but respond. What's interesting to note here is the Texas ruling applies nationwide. Yes. The Washington ruling 
applies only in the states that were parties to that lawsuit. It's about 17 states where abortion is legal. Exactly. It was a strategy by the Democratic attorneys general in that case to bring almost a mirror lawsuit. But not all of the states, even with Democratic attorney generals, actually joined that lawsuit. And so that's why you could have this bizarre patchwork of different rulings. It feels like because of that patchwork of different rulings, it's headed to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court could issue a stay. Again, a pause. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is it's kind of in limbo, but as the status quo is, this drug is still legal for the moment. Exactly. Right now, and I, w- I predict you might see an administrative stay from the Fifth Circuit as soon as tomorrow, essentially saying, let's get out from underneath this looming deadline because the, the judge uh, is order in Texas is supposed to go into effect on Saturday. And so I imagine the Fifth Circuit might say, let's just wipe out that deadline, give everyone some breathing room, everyone can make their arguments, and then we'll address the appeal. Okay. And one of the arguments that the Department of Justice is, is making is that this medicine, mifepristone, does more than just induce abortions, yeah. that there are other uses of it so that the, the Texas ruling is actually overbroad. Yeah, that's one of the arguments that they're trying to make, because obviously there's so much focus on abortion because it's the most commonly uh, used pill for that purpose, but it's also used to treat and manage miscarriages, and it's something a lot of doctors have raised issues about. And so even in states where abortion might be illegal, if it's for the health and safety of the mother at at, at issue, then you could use mifepristone, and that's why the Justice Department is saying you need to put this on hold. A lot of legal wrangling to come, Laura. Thank you very much. All right, let's move now to some big political news that played out here on today. During yesterday's White House Easter egg roll, President Biden telling our White House correspondent Al Roker that he plans (laughs) on running for re-election. So what is keeping him from making an official campaign announcement? NBC's other chief White House correspondent, Kristen Welker, (laughs) has more on that. Hey, Kristen, good morning. Hi, Oda. Good morning to you. Well, I could be out of a job soon, but look, you are right. President Biden was not mincing words when he spoke to Al here at the White House on Monday. Advisors tell us, though, the president is in no rush to make it official. Still, behind the scenes, preparations are ramping up. This morning, it's the strongest signal yet from President Biden that he's running for re-election. I was just wondering, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after 2024? I plan on at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more? Maybe maybe five. Maybe five. (laughs) Maybe maybe six. What the hell? Are you telling Al here on Today during the White House Easter egg roll, he's all but made up his mind. Help a brother out. Make some news for me. I I plan on running out, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. The president has long said he intends to run in 2024, though he's been in no rush to make it official. The new remarks come as top White House advisors are preparing to make final decisions on launching his campaign, according to multiple sources familiar with the discussions. Several considerations in the decision-making process include that no major Democratic challenger has emerged, despite the president's stagnant job approval ratings in the low 40s, that there's a major clash on the horizon with congressional Republicans over the nation's borrowing limit, and that former President Trump, who's running for the GOP nomination, has been indicted and is consuming the political spotlight. One longtime Biden advisor saying the delay also serves to preserve the right not to run. Still, could all of this be teeing up another epic clash between President Biden and former President Trump? Right now, Mr. Trump's strongest potential rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is widely expected to run. But he's brushed off questions about a formal launch, while recently coming 
into Mr. Trump's defense and taking aim at the indictment he's facing in Manhattan. We have the political left weaponizing uh, the rule of law. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley has thrown her hat into the ring, too. With Mr. Trump's former Vice President Mike Pence moving toward his own White House bid in the coming weeks. So, Kristen, as the president uh, said to Al, he, he's, I guess, intending to run, planning to run. But when you make an official announcement, it triggers all these uh, legal ramifications. So when do we expect an official announcement if it's really coming? Yeah, those legal ramifications are part of the delay, Savannah. All signs are pointing to a possible announcement in late spring, early summer. But that timeline could also shift. And just for context here, it's definitely not unusual for a sitting president to wait a little longer to jump in. Former President Trump announced in June. Former President Obama was in April. And former President Bush made it official in May. Still, Savannah, big picture here. Mr. Biden has been traveling around the country touting what he sees as his biggest achievement. So in the eyes of a lot of folks, the campaign has already unofficially begun. Savannah. All right, Kristen, thank you very much. Mr. Roker, I'm hey, sorry. Hello. What were you doing making the front page of the New York Times and What's everything wrong? else? What kind of a world are we living in? What's, <laughs> we're like in the upside down right now. In fact, <laughs> to, to kind of hammer that point home, we've got unseasonably warm, high temperatures. Jet stream is way up to the north. We are talking about records possible today in 13 states. May set a record in Minneapolis. Valentine, we're looking at 80, 92. Denver probably will set a record of 83. Phoenix, near 100 degrees today. Salt Lake City flirting with 80 degrees tomorrow. That record warmth starts to make its way east. Chicago, you are going to flirt with uh, mid-80s. You may break your record. Omaha coming close at 88. Goodland looking at 88 degrees. Down in El Paso, 89 degrees. The record, 90. And then we move into Thursday. Manchester may set records. Williamsport, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Chicago may be tying a record. And as we go on into Friday, heading into the weekend, look at these temperatures. 74 in Bangor, 81 in Providence, 77 in Jamestown. So the good news is we got that warmth and it's going to start to work its way right on into the weekend. And that's your latest weather. And guys, we brought you each for the kids uh, an Easter oh. egg from the Easter egg roll. I love oh my that. God. So cool. Official. One of the commemorative ones. That's right. That's right. Did you say they have a paw print too, right? There's also, there's also one that had paw prints. Okay, you know, cool. The two dogs. Thank you so can you much, what, Can you believe what happened to you on that kind day? Kind of crazy. <laughs> kind of a wacky day. Just another day fun. for Just another, another another fun day. collecting day. eggs. That's, that's all you do. Yeah. But you know what? Our D.C. Uh, uh, bureau uh, with uh, Scott Foster yeah. and Robert Ciardon did a Fantastic job. Our crew was wonderful. Oh, that was fun. Cool. Thank you. Still ahead this morning. A case we've been following very closely. The mother of the six-year-old who shot his teacher in a Virginia classroom is now facing criminal charges herself. Miguel Almaguer on the story for us this morning. Hi, Miguel. Savannah, good morning. That mother now facing a felony and a misdemeanor count when she plans to turn herself in and what her attorney is now saying. Miguel, thank you. Plus, the rise of Ozempic and other drugs for losing weight now leading to a major shift across the entire dieting industry. We're going to break down the newest approaches to weight loss and what it means for you. But first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back, 7.30, a live look this morning at Blue Shutters Town Beach in Rhode Island. Mm. Something really special is about to unfold there. A sea pole pup <laughs> rescued and nursed back to health. Well, there he is, or she, ready to be released back into the ocean. And we will bring you that adorable thing live. Tom's in for Craig. You had to be here for this one. I, I was actually here for the sea pole. Yeah, um, sea pole. I, I, it was this, sea pulp. I believe pulp is what I actually <laughs> said. <laughs> All right, guys, we do have a lot of news to get to. First up in this half hour, new developments tied to January's stunning shooting inside a first grade classroom in Virginia. Yeah, a six-year-old boy opened fire, wounding his teacher. Now his mother is facing criminal charges. NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us with the latest on this. Miguel, good morning. Guys, good morning. That mother, Deja Taylor, is now facing a felony and misdemeanor count after her six-year-old son shot his teacher. While she plans to turn herself in this week, the Commonwealth's attorney says the case is still open and additional indictments and charges could follow. More than three months after first grade teacher Abigail Zwarner was shot by her six-year-old student in class, the mother of that young boy has now been criminally charged. A Newport News grand jury indicting 25-year-old Deja Taylor on one count of felony child neglect and one misdemeanor count of recklessly leaving a loaded firearm so as to endanger a child. Who would be prepared for a six-year-old? to bring a loaded weapon on the school. After authorities announced the six-year-old would not be charged with a crime, the Commonwealth's attorney said, every criminal case is unique in its facts, and these facts support these charges, but our investigation into the shooting continues. Abigail Zwarner speaking exclusively to Savannah last month. The initial gunshot went through my left hand. The gunshot then went into my chest up here. The 25-year-old who says the bullet still remains lodged in her body is suing school administrators for $40 million, alleging gross negligence. Zwarner said staff failed to act on several warnings that the six-year-old had a gun. Everything about this is so unthinkable. I wonder what you think or how you feel about this student. I just... We'll never forget the look on his face that he gave me while he pointed the gun directly at me. That's something that I will never forget. The boy's family also said he suffers from an acute disability and that he was under a care plan at the school that includes his parents accompanying him to class every day. But according to a statement from the family, the week of the shooting was the first week when they were not in class with him. 
Zwirner's civil suit also alleging that the parents did not agree for him to be placed into special education classrooms. Zwirner's attorney says the new indictment addresses one failure, but school leaders are also accountable. At that point in time, you have a ticking time bomb in the school and the school failed to do anything about it. While questions still remain over how the six-year-old was able to access the gun, the family has said the weapon was secured and they've always been committed to, quote, keeping firearms out of the reach of children. Meanwhile, the school district had no comment on the indictment, but previously told NBC News they're working to address safety and security concerns in all their buildings. Savannah. All right, Miguel, thank you. We're joined now by NBC News legal analyst Danny Savalas. Hi, Danny. Can you just break down the, the charges here? You've got a felony and a misdemeanor against the mom. What do the charges signify? Yeah, the felony is your basic child neglect, very broadly drafted, and all it really requires is a reckless uh, disregard for the child's life, or really any life. So that is one of a more general kind of statute that gets you to felony land, but the misdemeanor in this case seems almost tailor-made for this situation. It's basically negligent leaving a firearm around around a child causing some kind of risk. And what's interesting is that both of these charges focus on the child as the victim, not as the not on the teacher as the victim. And I think that's interesting. It probably reflects a very conservative approach. They knew this would be the easiest route to a conviction, and they don't want any charges that would imply that the child had any kind of volition or control or was any independent actor. Let's talk about the mom for just a second. What does the grand jury take into account? I mean, in all the published reports, the mom or the dad was in school with the child every day except for that one day. The mom says that the gun was on a top shelf. She called it with some kind of trigger lock, keeping it away. What factors is the grand jury taking into account when they're deciding whether or not to charge the mother? All they need is probable cause in a case like this. And they've got a lot of the evidence already known in the public. You have a firearm. You know who it belonged to. The Mm -hmm. child got a hold of it. The child came to school. The child used it and caused someone injury. On the defense side, which really doesn't come up at the grand jury phase, but you can expect and you can already see them formulating their defense, which is, hey, look, we secured the gun. They'll probably bring in witnesses and other evidence to say we had this gun secured. But that raises a problem that I call the abracadabra problem. Well, if you had it so secured in the house, how did the how child get, get the gun? And then that may mean who do you call as the witness if you're the prosecution? A six year old or maybe a seven year old by then. And that is problematic. I've cross examined children that age and above. It is not easy. It's not a fun place to be at all. Yeah, it's one of those. It sort of speaks for itself. If the gun is in the hands of a six year old, almost by definition, Mm -hmm. it isn't sufficiently secured if that's where you ended up. How do you see this playing out? I mean, do you think a plea deal is likely? I do. I do in this case because the facts are all there. The defense, as I see it building up, is not going to be that strong because, just like you said, let's say they uh, put on good testimony that the gun was completely secured. Well, then what's the theory that somebody else broke in, unlocked the gun, gave it to the child? That's not going to work. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a plea here. These charges are ones that you can work with. The state may be willing to work with it, especially if they're willing to come down off the felony and maybe plead to the misdemeanor. But the state may not be willing to do that, given the high profile nature of this case and the fact that you have a victim in the 
form of a teacher who acted so heroically, you may not want to let this parent off with just a misdemeanor if you're the state. And just real quickly, there is a civil lawsuit against the school administrators, the assistant Mm -hmm. principal, the principal, the superintendent and the school itself. It sounds like the prosecutor is still very much looking at those facts and whether anyone else could be held criminally responsible. Very much so. It may be the case, and we were talking briefly about this, that they wanted to get the indictment on the parent. And that's an easier path. But for this more complex, thorny issue of how responsible are school boards and school administrators, which, by the way, is an issue that has been litigated a ton in the civil context. So you don't see it a lot in the criminal context. This is a complex issue. They may need to devote more special grand jury time to it to get it right. Mm-hmm. All right. NBC News legal analyst Danny Savalas. Danny, thank you very much. Danny. All right. Still ahead, the new debate that's erupted over spoilers after a major newspaper revealed the key plot twist on succession. Don't tell me. I haven't We're, seen uh, it yet. Okay. Our discussion will be spoiler free. Okay, good. All right. But first, Vicki Wynn with a closer look this morning at a revolution that's happening inside the weight loss industry. Hey, good morning, Savannah and Hoda. Some traditional weight loss companies are now offering access to weight loss drugs like Wagovi and Contrave. Some people are calling it a shortcut. Others say it's a game changer in how we lose weight. So how's it all supposed to work? That's coming up right here on Today. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, 742 in depth today. This morning, the rise of drugs like Ozempic sending shockwaves through the weight loss industry. More people are now embracing the prescription path over the old system of counting calories and exercising. So what does that mean for companies like Weight Watchers and for you? NBC senior consumer investigative correspondent Vicki Wins here breaking it all down for us. Hey, Vic, good morning. Hi, good morning, everyone. Yes, yeah, some companies are really leaning into the popularity of weight loss drugs, partnering with telehealth providers to offer what they call another tool to help their clients shed pounds, but is it all sustainable? And should you try it? We asked the experts. For decades, companies like Weight Watchers have been telling members they can lose weight by tracking how much they eat and adding more movement to their routines. But these days, as reported in the Wall Street Journal, some weight loss companies are embracing new medications too. Alongside with using Ozempic, I am also on Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers, which lost more than a million and a half members over the past two years, is now offering access to drugs like Wagovi, Saxenda, and Contrave, with doctors' prescriptions from their telehealth company, Sequence. But the company's chief scientific officer says Weight Watchers' core message hasn't changed. Why should someone sign up for Weight Watchers if they can go ahead and get one of these prescriptions and lose weight with just the medicine? Because there's no medication. No pill nor injection that will teach you 
healthy eating habits, or increased patterns of physical activity. Behavior change is not less important. It's just as important as it always was. On social media, many say they're doing both, counting points and taking medication. I am down 10 pounds today. I'm so excited. So, um, but I'm also doing, I just started... Uh, last week, I started Weight Watchers, so I'm combining that. While weight loss drugs may be appropriate for some, doctors say there's no substitute for thorough, in-person consultations. So there are certain things you need to physically see, touch, measure on a patient that you can't do in a telehealth visit. Yes, there are certain components of the physical exam which we may not be able to do if it's via a telemedicine platform. For example, checking a patient's thyroid and taking body measurements, not just looking at weight. Is this the appropriate diagnosis for them? Are they living with overweight or obesity? Two would be, you know, what is their history? Have they been on medications before? Have they had a surgery? People considering weight loss drugs should first consult with their doctor to determine which type of medication is right for them, whether insurance can help cover the costs, and how to maintain a healthy diet while losing weight. Ultimately, experts say there's no single silver bullet when it comes to obesity, which is a chronic and complex condition requiring a comprehensive approach. Mm-hmm. Vicki, you know, Weight Watchers is so much about their brand, and mm-hmm. this is, seems to be off-brand in a way. Are they getting any backlash for this? Well, it's interesting. You know, people will always have thoughts and opinions on everything, and some people are like, this is a shortcut. I did it the hard way. I counted the points. Mm-hmm. I did the exercising. Weight Watchers says, look, think of this as another tool in the toolkit, a 360 approach to how we lose weight. These drugs can help jumpstart, help you get some new habits. And I think the chief scientist uh, officer there put it well and said, look, no pill, no injection is going to teach you how to eat healthy or add movement to your day. This isn't a replacement for what you should be learning. It's just an additive. Seems like the goal should be to be on, if you're going to be on Ozempic, and then to get off of it, like your big plan, because that seems not sustainable to be on that forever and ever. That was my question, Hoda. Like, how can you do this long term? But, you know, we talked to an endocrinologist who is a weight loss specialist as well, and she said, look, you have to start thinking of obesity as this condition that you treat long term, like diabetes or anything else. For some people, it does make sense to be on a medication long term to help them. They say so far the research shows it's safe and effective, but ultimately if you can use food as medicine, mm-hmm. everyone agrees that's the Well, and doing well. it hand in hand with developing some better habits, exactly. you know, that actually makes some sense yeah. long term mm-hmm. as well. All right, Vic, thank, thank you. Thank you, Let us go over to Mr. Roper for another check of the weather. You betcha. Well, we just came off of the hottest uh, April 1st was the average ocean temperature, 70 degrees. That's the warmest on record. And March 2023, the second warmest March for the climate, for the planet, on record. It ties with 2017, 2019, and 2020. So we have been dealing with record warm temperatures this year. Record global temperatures are expected as El Nino strengthens, and that could lead to more severe weather coming up this this uh, this spring and on into the summer. For March, much colder than average temperatures out west, warmer than average temperatures through the south. In fact, the top 10 coldest months from Grand Forks, Los Angeles, Eugene, on into Casper and Grand Junction. Top 10 warmest marches from Del Rio, Corpus Christi, New Orleans. And in fact, that those sharp temperature contrasts led to the severe outbreaks we saw last month and the beginning of this month. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, now, thank 
you. Uh, Guys, coming up, we have breaking news and pop start overnight on a major Hollywood engagement. Oh, my. Wait, what? what? Oh, okay, then Jennifer Garner will be here. Can't wait to talk about her return to TV. The unusual way she landed her role. She says she replaced someone with a very big name. No pressure. Oh. Mm-hmm.